Um, don't Google listening to the universe because it's not science that you'll get. And don't look for sounds of the universe because that's just a Depeche Mode album. That's not what I was trying to find, but okay, cool. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And for the first episode of 2021, main episode of 2021, we're doing Contact. So pumped. (laughs) Welcome to 2021. Um, Hi. How was your... Hi. How was your holidays, Abby? (laughs) Are we doing this? Are we for real doing this? (laughs) My holidays were great. (laughs) Uh, How... (laughs) We haven't been on our holidays yet. How about that alien invasion? (laughs) That was a weird thing to happen at the end of 2020, right? Fun little New Year's prank. (laughs) Ah, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of something on the spot, but I haven't had my coffee yet. Let me just do that right now. (laughs) We can admit that we are recording this in December. (laughs) Because we want to take an extended holiday. Yeah. A little bit of... We want to enjoy the holidays, so we'll tell you how they really went in a couple of episodes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look at us shooting through time. <laughs> but even though we are recording this in, in December, um, I do just want to take some time because we've been going for six months now and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving reviews. Thank you for the awesome feedback we've been getting. We love nerding out about this stuff and we love getting to introduce each other to new movies and having a proper chat about them. And sometimes, you know, because there's just movies that you love or you hate them so much and you just want to talk about it and you can't find someone to talk to. And you're like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? So I just want to say that I love talking about them with you, Frida. And my last New Year's thanks is to you. Thank you for doing this show with me. Oh, that's so lovely. Thank you very much for doing it with me. I have really enjoyed it. I think that you, Abby, drove the, you really drove the whole idea and the structure. Um, Everyone listening, the structure of this podcast is 100% due to Abby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's been, it's been lovely just talking about movies. I mean, to be fair, I really just wanted what the fuck. (laughs) That was my main name for the structure. I was like, no matter what, there has to be what the fuck has to be in there it works it is it's fun talking about movies and it's also great seeing people when they say oh i listen to your podcast i love it it's so satisfying my favorite one i don't know if i told you that my favorite one i don't know if i said this before my friend lisa hi lisa um my she randomly one day she was like i've just listened to your sunshine episode and i totally agree about zombie mark strong (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's great when people give it uh give an agreement yeah. Um, and sometimes you get some disagreements. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. The corrections. Yeah. Okay. Go on then. <laughs> oh, uh, I'll do. I have a little correction, which was that I was actually this. This is wrapped up in a compliment because I went on a work trip. <laughs> and when I arrived sort of in the lobby to meet everybody, they were all like, Frida, we've all been listening to your podcast, <laughs> you know. So um, 
and somebody said this to me. Your episode of 12 Monkeys. <laughs> this person said, you're wrong. Psychiatrists have sex with their patients all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you being serious? <laughs> yeah. What a classic correction. Um, anyway, yeah. Oh. It's, it's fun learning a lot of I've been learning a lot of science for this podcast which has been so fun to research so let's segue speaking of science yeah. this is the first episode that I actually opened up my textbooks what for. I went to my shelf because I have so many optics textbooks especially the classic hect optics mm. um if anybody wants like a fantastic just general optics textbook that just covers generally every area of optics in a kind of easy to read way i encourage you eugene hecht optics <laughs> so let's get into it this okay. week contact jody foster 1997 film based on the novel by carl sagan of the same name contact shall i do my summary Yes, please. Sip of coffee. Fuel up for it. Sip of water. <laughs> I'm on double tea. Happy Saturday I've got a whole night. station here. What? I've got a little um, station next to I'm me. I'm going to eat a custard donut while you're telling me this. Oh, Hanukkah donuts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, guys. Um, <laughs> In January. Oops. Okay, so contact. Eleanor... Arroway has always been interested in radio frequencies, searching for people to communicate with. But after her father suffers a sudden death, her search takes on darker shades. The adult Ellie, we learn, has decided to devote herself to the search of extraterrestrial intelligence, but struggles to remain funded after arch nemesis David Drumlin shuts down the program in Arecibo. Q, mysterious billionaire. S.R. Haddon, who agrees to fund her work with SETI at the Very Large Array in New Mexico. Years later, Drumlin, still around and obsessed with shutting down SETI, is about to shut down funding yet again when Ellie intercepts a signal sent from Vega, sent by an intelligent species. In the signal is a 63,000-page instruction manual for some sort of machine intended to house a single passenger. Ellie vies for the position but loses it to Drumlin after her belief system is brought into question. But when radicals blow up the machine and kill Drumlin, Haddon reveals that he had funded a second machine in Japan and he wishes Ellie to go. He doesn't care about that religious stuff. Ellie boards the machine where her pod is dropped into a series of spinning rings and enters a network of wormholes. In wonder, she sees a quadruple star system, breathtaking stellar events, and even looks down onto an alien city before landing on what appears to be a beach and is approached by an alien taking the form of her father, who explains that this is humanity's first step towards joining the rest of the intergalactic traveller races. She is sent back, but less than a second has passed on Earth, as her pod seems to have simply fallen straight down through the rings into the water. Her recording device only recorded noise. 
In a congressional hearing, Ellie is confronted with the theory that Haddon has designed the entire thing as an elaborate hoax, but Ellie maintains that she is telling the truth. Later, we, the viewers, find out that the recorded noise actually ran for 18 hours, but this information is not leaked to the public, and so humans continue on in their loneliness and despair, with only Ellie having the knowledge that we are, in fact, not alone in the universe. And that is contact. I know. It's not the music for it, I know, but it's what's in my mind. It's not even. It's in my brain. Um, uh, it's such a beautiful movie. Yeah. And um, let's let's not get too overexcited. Um, <laughs> did you love it? <laughs> I it's did. A- no, I do. I really like this movie, and it's so weird because like my memory is just so ingrained into that scene on the beach. When I think of contact, that's I picture that immediately. And even if I if it's been a while since I because I had like this time it had been quite a while since I'd seen it. So part of me is just like I don't really remember much else of what was going on, but I remember that scene on the beach. One hundred percent always. Yeah. Um with good old David Morse. Yes. Your buddy. <laughs> Hashtag my James oh, no, Rapporn. I really want to That was my James Rapporn, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, that's the hashtag. Yeah, hashtag my James Redporn, yeah. Yeah, I'm truly trying to get this. You really are, you're trying really to get that going, crazy. aren't you? Um, yeah, so Contact, I think, is like the OG Interstellar. If you really yeah. think about it, it's kind of, it's the same. It's the same movie. Yeah, It's it about is. a daughter reaching across the universe for her father with Matthew McConaughey. True. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just it's just Matthew McConaughey, really, isn't it? Don't <laughs> In his pre-rom-com phase. Um, have you got a best part? Um, I don't know about part, to be honest. I'm trying to think. I'm like, I there's there's a lot of things in the movie that I like about what they did. But there's not like a single moment. Yeah. There, There is one thing that I did write down because there's just a line that I really enjoy. And it okay. is the um, Drummond's line because it's just a great comment that he makes to Ellie. And it's so true where he just says like, there's only two options. There's either intelligent life, but it's so far away that we will never hear from them. Or there's yep. nothing out there but noble gases. And yeah. I can't remember. And there's another thing in the line. I can't remember what the other and thing And I... Agree with that. Like that's my yeah. position, by the way. Yeah. And I guess we can talk about it later. But that's sort of my position. Um, and I have a best part, actually. I, I I actually have a best part. Can I share it with you? Yeah, please do. The scene where she discovers that scene is so exciting, and it's kind of her Jodie Foster flexing her Jodie Foster muscles. Yeah. Because she's very young in this movie, and um. She's sort of playing her herself and, you know, she's sort of coming along, you know, Jodie Foster. And you're like, what's so special about Jodie Foster? And then the scene where she hears the sound and she starts getting excited and calling ahead and telling them the radio frequencies and driving in the car is so thrilling. And, and it's so awesome when she finally arrives at the institution, the center, the control center, 
Um, there's this amazing tracking shot, actually, where the camera follows her throughout the whole thing, going here, going there, speaking to these people, speaking to those people. It tracks her. It's really, really exciting and it's really exhilarating. And I probably literally like stood up and I was just like, yeah. woo, go up. You know, it was so exciting. So that was my favorite um, part. Just wanted to mention that. It's um, a great, you're so right though. It's such a great tracking scene. Just her in on the, and you know, like even when she's walking in the building, you just sense that like importance of the moment because she's on the phone as she's walking into the building and it's just like, or on the radio and it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, this is like, we cannot stop yeah. for a second. I know. And, and they, and I love how like, they're all able to find the sound. They're able to find the sound. It doesn't like go away. It isn't her imagination. It's like really happening. It's very exciting. Um, just another mention about the cast. We've talked about David Morse and MM. Um, little shout out to Jenna Malone. Little yes. Jenna Malone. Who's, um, she was everywhere uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. And she is just, she's so good at emoting. <laughs> she's just um, so lovely. She it's, was a great that, kid actor. Great kid. So yeah. when the father does that scene where her father collapses um this this movie is really special actually just in terms of its production its cinematography like it's um it aged extremely well and when I was watching it just the quality was we've watched a lot of like movies from the 90s and this stood out for me in terms of the the quality um yeah it it hasn't dated at all but I just want to say is that they watch the camera is on her and it's in slow motion of her running to get her father's medication when you know it's fruitless because you know they've slowed it down and you see her running and just her face it's really really a crazy scene it's amazing Moving on from the the cast, just a few little things, more things about the production. Um, I guess I already mentioned that this was written by Carl Sagan. Um, Well, he actually intended to do it as a screenplay, but um, it couldn't get off the ground, so he just wrote it as a novel. Actually, the screenplay was prepared, the story was prepared together with his wife, which we should really mention. Yeah. but uh, Carl Sagan, what's what's your um, – do you have any kind of history with Carl Sagan, uh, you know? Does he mean anything to you? Not you and Carl Sagan, do you guys have a personal history? Do you know each other? Yeah, yeah, we, you were, know? All, we were all buds back back there, <laughs> back in the day. I'll get um, better at this uh, yeah. interviewing, but do you, do, do you have anything you want to say about Carl Sagan? Does oh, no, it mean I, anything to you? I know, do you know that he – oh, uh, do you know actually that he was supposed to have – a cameo appearance as one of the members of the board that was interviewing her for the position of getting to go but he passed away during production so they never got to recording the scene oh uh, yes and and at the end of the movie it says for carl yeah um, at the end it's very sad that he never got to see it it's very sweet though it's very um because he obviously took so much care in writing it for it to be a good and accurate representation and i think we will obviously get to that but you know, it is mm. widely known as one of the most accurate representations for science and scientists. So, yeah, it's kind of it's very sweet. Um, one, one, I want to make a small comment about the editing. They have these like scenes instead of like going to black. A lot of the scenes went to white. They're like white outs. Oh, okay. Um, which I kind of thought were beautiful. Um, what about Bill Clinton? Yeah, <laughs> lol. Pretty amazing. Do you know, oh God, what did I read today that they had asked, they asked someone to play the role of the president. I can't remember who it was. Sidney Poitier. 
Oh, really? They asked him to play the role of the president and he turned it down. And they were like, oh, we don't know what we're going to do. And then are you going to say... No, no, I just, oh. I just, I had the word Bill Clinton written. Oh, no, so so they didn't know, when, when Sidney Poitier turned it down, they were like, oh, what are we going to do? And then just at that time, Bill Clinton did his speech about Mars. And yeah. he said the line, like there's a quote there where I think um, the director, I think, or the producer said that he couldn't believe it when Bill Clinton did that speech. And yes. then they he says the line where it's like, for now, we're just going to keep listening to what they're saying. And he said he was just like floored. He was like, I cannot believe he just said that. So then they just used the Bill Clinton cuts instead. It's great. Amazing. <laughs> pre the deep fakes, pre the generative adversarial networks that now make that very accessible to actually have a president say fake things they just had the magic of editing a bit of very very clever editing oh god <laughs> um so that's bill clinton i also wanted to mention the costumes just a couple of little points oh yeah her outfit that she gives the pitch in is fabulous that's like my dream outfit that's like my date my dream you know that that's outfit. based on uh that's Stop. based on carl what? sagan her outfit oh yeah God, it's because the turtleneck yeah, and the blazer the the, and the it was blazer. his signature so they had her wear that for the pitch <laughs> i'm all about turtleneck and blazer like that's yeah. my okay <laughs> wow um but there's a couple of other outfits you know when she's like she says to angela bassett do you know where i can find a dress whatever the hell Jodie oh Foster's yeah voices and she <laughs> turns up looking like rose the night the titanic sank it's the iris she walked in and i was like it's like watching a period drama suddenly <laughs> she was very pretty <laughs> all right moving on from our general chat um the themes of this movie i think i've written down the theme of this movie is just searching yeah it's a, it's about searching um it's very sad when she when her dad uh, passes away and she immediately goes up to the uh, her radio and starts searching on frequencies and she's saying dad yeah. dad are you there and i suppose the the whole movie she's literally searching for her dad um and i was thinking about what this maybe represents and it made me think about how searching in the great beyond for fathers is like a massive analogy for searching within yourself right i think i think that's sort of, I haven't really, that's yeah. like my sketching of the themes, but it's just about searching and what humans search for and why we search. And it's like, we have an ex- existential dread that we're trying to satisfy with answers about who am I? Why am I here? It's, yeah, I wrote, sorry, I know, I'm feeling, I feel a bit weird now. <laughs> yeah. No, it's right. It's because like, because you messaged me today, which was very nice to ask about this because like my dad passed away a year ago. um and this is I'm thinking I think about him a lot at this time because it's his birthday in a few days in December and then Christmas of course and yeah you know like we would go to his house on St. Stephen's Day and I won't be in Ireland I wasn't there in Ireland last year because I was in Australia but I was you know anyway sorry I'm just it's a funny thing to to think about because I kind of looked at it from she's calling out to her her dad yeah and she's disguising that need and that longing as a scientific endeavor 
because yes. that's the only rational way that she can reach out because that's right she's denied any faith in God because he hasn't answered her or because she just never believed yeah. in that so life in the universe is something that is entirely plausible to her as a scientist it's something that she can believe in and yeah. it's something that she can search for and finally receiving a response is like kind of rebuilding a faith within her but I, I completely understand that emotion that's there within it for it's an answer. It's you want an answer or there's unsaid things or there's regrets mm. and there's thoughts that you you want to follow through on. But that opportunity is no longer there. You cannot do yeah. anything to change that. So the only yeah. thing that you can do is take all of that emotion and all of that focus and desire and need and longing and tunnel it into something else, something that you yeah. can potentially achieve. And then all of that heightens the importance of it for her because mm. it's it's not necessarily a, about like, I want this answer because then I can talk to my dad. It's just about, I think maybe that's where the emotion comes as well when she sees him on the beach, not realizing that that's what she was doing the whole time until she sees him yeah. and until she feels like she can talk to him, even though it's not him, it's still that moment that she gets where she can talk, you know, she can she can say things. But yeah, I don't know. I yeah. think, I just think it's it's a really, it's a really interesting story. Yeah, it's done it, really well and really sweetly. And I think that perspective that you have on it is really good. Thanks a lot for that. Thanks a lot for saying that, um, for explaining that. That is um, it sort of makes it clear that that the, the thing with the father, it drives the emotion, sort of the emotional core of the movie, explaining her her need, yeah. um, why she has this strong need. Um, and it actually, as you were talking, it made me realize like it's sort of tied into her atheism, her her belief, her yeah. like there is, uh, there's no evidence, like she has no answers, like that there's something out there, um, because something in her is missing and 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 not completed because of how sudden uh, how suddenly her father died, mm. and it makes me realize that again, God is an analogy for the father, and the and the loss of the father is the loss of God, and we talked about this with altered states. Yeah. His loss of his father was analogous to the loss of his faith because those things are so tied yeah. together that there's a father, there's someone out there watching over me. And she's like, I don't think so. And that is because there's something in her which says that that's missing, that is missing for her. Um, I, I want to talk more about this in the, in the next section about the whole atheism and science, actually, because I definitely have some more to say about that. <laughs> but um, I thought that, you might. I have a, a leave that incredibly serious talk behind to get incredibly silly for a minute Yay. and talk about our tropes. Um, before we talk about tropes, I have to give honorable mention because there is sexy science talk, but here it's sexy science star talk. Um, millions and billions and millions and billions and billions and millions up there and billions. And then he says something like her father said, and it makes her kiss him which is funny um and another <laughs> honorable mention because i've talked about invert the polarity um invert the polarity trope this is so funny because 
the screen that they're using to get the visual display up when they realize it's a television signal, there is a little box to check that says invert the polarity. <gasps> what? Checked box. Yes, it was for I one didn't second. I see that. And I'm sure that that's totally fine maybe with like an image zero one uh, flip uh, intensity. Yeah. I don't know. But I just was like, no. So those are my honorable mentions. Oh, <laughs> but Abby, what is your trope of the week? My trope, I don't have a name for it. Um, it's based around one sentence that happens in a news report. So I'm just going to give you the sentence. Okay. Almost two whole weeks after the signal, scientists still have no answers. <laughs> Scrambling for answers. It's like, I'm sorry. You think that this shit happens that quickly? Like two two whole two weeks, weeks and they have no answers. How dare they're terrible scientists. They know nothing. They're stupid. It's like, what? What? No. That's not, I'm just like timelines. I get that it's a movie, but even in the movie, they could have like a slightly more accurate timeline potentially. Or, well, do you know what? It's not actually even about accuracy timelines in the movies. Actually, I'm going to take that back immediately. What it is, is, is it's about expectations from the public and the media versus the reality of scientific research. That's what it is. And that's what oh, bugs yeah. me. It's like, a- no, these things don't you happen just on that time frame. You just did a double Hermione speak. No. That's what the problem is. That's what bothers me. <laughs> um, this movie also Sorry. sneaks in timelines. It sneaks in timelines everywhere in conversation so you know how much time has passed. So when she gives her thing, she's like, 13 months. And then it goes four years. Like It, it, yeah. it keeps t- letting you know how much time has passed. Um, what was your trip? We only get one shot at this, so let's get it right. That's what I wrote. And then I like Googled that and then movie quotes just to see how many movies it's in. I mean, it's just, it's in so many movies. I also wrote another one of like, I've been following you your whole life trope. When it's like, okay, I've got photos. It makes no sense why you have these. That's fine. Um, There's a couple of good ones. And just, I wanted to say on on the whole Sexy Science Star Talk, (laughs) Billions and Sorry, billions I'm loving the sexy science star talk. Sorry, go on. <laughs> sexy science star talk. Um, Trademark. Just an ode to Carl Sagan, actually, because um, there's a supercut of him just saying millions and billions. You can find every millions and billions and trillions that's in um, Cosmos. Amazing. So he stressed the B so it wasn't confused with millions. So he'd say oh. millions and billions and billions of trillions. 400 <laughs> Billions of billion trillions, millions, tens of billions, trillions, tens of billion, million of billion is Carl Sagan. Very good. It's really fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tropes. Tick. Boom. Let's get into some science. Science? (gasps) Science. So this movie presents us with like fabulous, wonderful science as an as an environment. The specifics mm. about those environments actually going to come into our science section mm. about where they were and what those places are designed to do. But in general, so they have her at two different observatories with the team um, working on different projects. And well, I think... That's in real life. That's 
I guess what happens in science that you might travel to places to get very special data that you can't get um, anywhere else. So you have to go to these special places. Um, what did you think about the way that that was portrayed in the movie? Yeah, I thought it was great. Cool. Did you... <laughs> I'm just awkwardly sorry, did, trying to keep Did you, you want in. me to say something else? Yeah, yeah, about observatory <laughs> yeah, networks. I know, I know. I know. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm joking. <laughs> joking with me yes telling me hanging sorry okay yeah i know i thought it was really cool um i really love the whole way of the setup of the observatories and what they were doing and i'm sure you're going to get deep into radio astronomy in a bit so i'll just touch on something that's a basis for all astronomy and that's that different objects emit light in different ways and we look for frequencies that match with what we're searching for so you need instruments that detect in a certain frequency range and you can't just create a universal detector so they're built and designed for a very specific range but that's not the science part because the science part like you can only do when you have the actual functioning equipment and that's when you get in the actual science teams and that's what SETI is because it's a research institution with its own funding. And then through this, they buy the time on the telescopes. Yeah. And then that's when you have so much data and you're like, wait, who analyzes it? And then that's <laughs> where I come in. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, because you, you were talked about uh, funding and SETI mm -hmm. cutting funding, um, there's a great line, I think, in the movie uh, with Drumland. Drumland, dun dun. Um, where he he says um to her you like that she's really talented and then he says to her you know if you do this you, you won't be published you're just spending yeah. time here listening your career will be over before it even begins um and she says so what it's it's my life and this conversation before he cuts cuts her funding yeah um and i thought that that was just really interesting because in it's true in academia she's idealistic about things but he's like you have to think about being practical and in your career and this is a waste of your time and she's like i don't even care uh, yeah. it's my life i really i really liked that line um yeah just about the struggle in academia to want to be idealistic but you know you have to be funded true that's the thing yeah. isn't it it's like it's not necessarily that what she's doing is it's not that it's fringe or crazy. It's maybe a little bit more fringe in the time setting of the movie than what it is today. But like it's more just that the the chances of the discovery are so minimal that you can spend yeah. your whole life doing this and get nowhere with it. And do you yeah. want your life to be stuck in this? So I do feel like at the beginning he's he's he is looking out for her. In yeah, terms I of, agree. Yeah. But um. Do you know that SETI was set up as a NASA-funded project in 1975? Oh, uh, sure. Okay, And then it makes sense. in 1992, it was set for a 10-year funding stint with 100 million US dollars. But in 1993, less than a year after this, Congress abruptly cut the funding. And it wasn't because of anything wrong with SETI. It was just purely political when it came down to like the budget and there wasn't enough backing in the scientific community to save it. It did continue on with some aspects of private funding, which we'll get into in a minute. But yeah. like that's hugely accurate. That actually, when I read that today, that made okay. This makes way more sense to me why Drummond came in and cut the funding. Like if it follows that accurate storyline, it wasn't like yeah. a shitty thing. It was just like it was NASA funded, 
at that time and NASA got the funding and he was just like you're out funding was abruptly cut by Congress in, in 93 so he was like yeah sorry you're done bye yeah it's very controversial because science you know functions as there's exploration and then fundamental research and then there's also you know uh curing aids and there's yeah. the public opinion about what's more important is is definitely relevant which is why maybe um some eccentric billionaire might in real life actually Ooh. step in and say it's my money and i'll put it towards what i want and what i want to put it towards is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And I think um, this might have happened in real life. It did this happen in real did life? It did happen in real life. Yes, it did. What is absolutely fascinating to me is that SETI has actually survived, mostly due to private funding, in what can only be described as a science Cinderella story and the real life SR Haddon. Wonderful. Just maybe not as cray cray as, as Haddon was. So in 2015, Yuri Milner, in a parallel to the Haddon character, came along and said, hey, where is everybody? Do you guys want some money to go look? (laughs) So Yuri is an Israeli science and tech investor. He was named after Yuri Gagarin, the first human in space. Did I say Mm. that name right? First human in space, Yuri Gagarin. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. My brain is going, that's wrong. Anyway, yes, um, he, Yuri Milner, has an advanced degree in theoretical physics. He studied quantum field theory, and then he went to mm. business school in the US. He made some super smart business decisions regarding the internet in the 90s, and has invested in all, all of the major companies that dominate our social media lives today. Then, along with his wife, they set up the Breakthrough Prize Foundation, And this is where, uh, and this foundation supports researchers in fundamental physics, life sciences, and mathematics. And it invests in cutting edge projects. So in 2015, he teamed up with the late, great Stephen Hawking to launch Breakthrough Initiatives, a suite of space programs dedicated to investigating fundamental questions in the search for life in the universe. Under this is Breakthrough Listen, a $100 million investment into the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in the universe. So he has pretty much single-handedly reinvigorated SETI. Unbelievable. It's awesome, isn't it? I think it is awesome. It's exactly what you said, though. It's like, it's your money, do what you want with it. And him and his wife are like, hey, science, let's go. Yeah. I think an early investor was the whoever's the co-founder of Microsoft also put in a lot of money to uh, yeah. maybe the, even the very large array. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, do what you want. I mean, if that's... And also the thing about SETI is that it does push the boundaries. It does push mm. so many boundaries that it does kind of incidentally come up with a lot of technologies because it has to solve so many problems. Right. Because of the boundaries that it pushes. And so scientific exploration, fundamental scientific exploration is very important um so it's so cool it's just like it's just yeah it's like you said it's just that thing where you kind of like you can think SETI and you could just think oh aliens cray cray and then you're like no but like it's it's fundamental yeah Uh, and um so in the movie, um, Drum- Drumlin's spending his entire career, he has like a vendetta against SETI, right? Or um, whatever. He doesn't like it, right? He doesn't like it. He's trying to shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. <laughs> then when the discovery happens, what does he do? 
He immediately takes credit for yeah. the discovery, doesn't he? He's, it, it, it says uh, that it was his discovery, even though we've <laughs> seen him constantly trying to shut it down. And it's really frustrating to watch, and it's really sad for her when that scene, yeah. when she realises it, and she's slowly kind of being pushed out. Why do you think they did that to her? I didn't think too deeply about it. I think I I was just like, I wonder how much this really happens. I know that it is quite common in terms of like, even if you just take the example, considering the topic we're talking about, even if you just take the example of Dame Jocelyn Belbernell and the discovery of pulsars, she discovered that as a PhD student under her academic supervisor and then her academic supervisor um, was given the Nobel Prize with somebody else for the discovery. And wow. Yeah, I don't like she has she has a couple of things that she says about that. Sometimes she there's there's sometimes places where she said that she was given the she was given the appropriate level of credit at the time for her station. But mm-hmm. I think maybe what the problem there is that it's this idea that there is stations and that whether you do the work, achieve the discovery doesn't mean you get the credit. How how, how can you how can you ever get ahead if you don't get, like, if as a young person you don't get the credit for your own discoveries? Like, then how do you then get ahead? That I, yeah. I, I think that that's, that's just an excuse. I think it it does happen a lot. That, um, and I think one of the symptoms is that, if you're if you're idealistic, and not, practical and political, this and this does happen to you. Yeah. And he and he actually makes a comment. He says, this is when um. She answers the question honestly, God forbid, about oh. God. And she's like, I can't answer that question. I'm a scientist. And he goes on to like play up his religious oh, that beliefs made me just to get chosen. That scene. Yeah. I wish we lived in a world where idealism is rewarded and not taken advantage of, he says to her, as the yeah. person who takes advantage of her idealism. Um, it's really distressing. And I might even segue just to I don't want to talk loads about like religion. I don't really talk a lot about it. I just want to like touch on it. Yeah. She refuses to have a position because it's not relevant to her and her worldview, whether or not there's a God. She's not going to take a position on something because it would be in contrast to her entire system of, um, I don't want to say belief system, but as a scientist, you work with evidence-based um, things. You're not going to have a position on something which there's no evidence for. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That was the thing. I think I felt really, I actually felt really uncomfortable with that scene. She is being forced into justifying why she doesn't believe. And it's like, that's not fair. You can't bring that in. And then you can't use it as this whole 95% of the population believe. So you, you're not representative (sighs) if you don't. And you have to answer the question. It's like, that's not fair. It's not fair. It's not But yeah, it just, it, it made me uncomfortable. I didn't like it. I hate and the idea that you can't God. be, you can't be, and you can't be a proud atheist. It's like not political to be a proud atheist. You have to keep those feelings down because, mm-hmm. like, the status quo is believing in God, even though so many quote unquote religious people are are very cynical about it. Actually, yeah, they're extremely cynical, and when on closer inspection, they don't actually believe at all. So the whole ninety five percent—that's utter bullshit. Mm-hmm. This movie is very, very. It's very confusing to me, the whole perspective of this American obsession with like sending a religious person about how important that is and everyone seems to be in agreement. 
Um, It's probably not wholly without foundation, but it's so dumb. It's so stupid. Like (laughs) it's just attacking people that are atheists. Yeah. Uh, I really, it's, it's, it's pretty silly, but I don't want to really talk about it that much. I don't want to. I, I, I moving swiftly along. Moving swiftly (laughs) along, actually. There is another, uh, there's more science characters here, but there's one of them that has like a name and a role. Um, (laughs) It's played by William Fitchner and his his name is Kent. That's a scientist. I just realised, do we actually even know the names of the other people or is it just Kent? (laughs) It's just Kent, really. It's like Kent, Drumlin, Ellie and McConaughey, which I will talk about at the end of the episode. Um, Kent, the one of my favorite parts actually is when he and sort of because he's blind, mm. um, and they listen. It's sort of it, it, the payoff um, when he hears her among uh, over the noise saying "Okay to go, yeah. okay to go," whatever she's saying. Okay to so go. so brave. Okay to go. Yeah, yeah and he can okay hear because go. he's so sensitive in his hearing. Yeah, um, was was a really satisfying payoff. Um, I heard what very. I looked at it and didn't look any further but i saw that he is based on a real person he is based on a real person can you tell me about that um he is based on an american astronomer named kent colors who is a blind astronomer i think the first ever like born blind astronomer and he worked both at nasa and seti on projects related to targeted search signal detection i just thought that was really cute carl sagan putting some real life in there you know uh, there was actually a blind astronomer or, or you know, almost blind, I don't know, like it, in in my department as well. Actually. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, um, really cool. I mean, not cool to be blind, but, but yeah, it's good yeah, to we, see. Yeah. That it just, it's cool to, it's just his character's actually really, really cool. He's lovely, um, isn't he? He's just, there's just yeah. something very sweet about it. It softens her. He's the only one who softens her, really. Like, she's very yeah. emotional and the whole dad thing and everything, but... He's the only one she ever shows, aside from a bit with Matthew McConaughey, just that scene when he comes in and she hears his voice, like this genuine love that she yeah, has for yeah. him. And you're just like, Friendship. oh, she's just so happy that he's it's there and he gets to take part in it because she wants them to experience it as well. You know, and that's what's so sweet about her. Absolutely. It's a really lovely friendship. And she, and he's honest with her as well, saying, you know, look, it's time to shut this down. Like he's 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 reasonable with her. Yeah. And um, it, it's a lovely friendship. I think it's time. I'm really excited for this. Here comes the science part of the podcast. <laughs> I'm really excited because I actually sort of went a bit crazy on the um, radio, uh, radio telescopes. Um, and then there's so many other things in here that will come up, like time dilation, wormholes. We'll definitely talk about it. Um, um, wormholes and time travel um, a little bit, but that'll come up in so many other movies that we have yet to do. But this is the first time we've really talked about um, astronomy, I'm pretty sure. And um, so I think, firstly, the first most important thing is that um, the first science environment takes place at the Arecibo Telescope in Puerto Rico, which collapsed on December 1st, 2020. Mm. It collapsed almost two weeks ago, actually. Yeah. Um, and so we have to give a little bit of an ode to Arecibo, it's, I think. Yeah, I just, it was so... I just I said it to you um, earlier today I think it's just so poignant that like we're recording this now 
this yeah. episode at this time when it's just when that's just happened. I watched it. I watched the video of it falling, and um, and I, I guess I want to take take the our listeners on a little journey about Arecibo. Yeah. It was decommissioned on the nineteenth of November due to two cable breaks. Before that, it was damaged by um, two earthquakes in 2019 and 2020. And before that, Hurricane Maria in 2017 damaged it as well. Um, But what is Arecibo? What is it? It's actually um, a spherical reflector dish um, built into a natural sinkhole. Sinkhole. Um, and before its collapse, it was the world the world's largest single aperture telescope, a hundred feet in diameter. Wow! Um, it's stationary because it's built into the sinkhole, and it is spherical. And um, for example, the Goldstone Space Telescope is not spherical; it's actually parabolic. Um, and why it's a spherical shape is because it's stationary; it can't be moved around um, to be pointed at different directions. Um, so the spherical shape allows it to collect uh, light from a, a wider range of sources. And now, so high above the mirror, so I guess is uh, we'll explain the physics here. So we have a reflector uh, telescope, which means the light reflects off mirrors and is collected by a, a radio receiver, which is suspended above the mirror. Um, and the position, that radio receiver position can be moved and that helps um, change the part of the sky that the telescope is looking at. Now actually Arecibo is a spherical dish and it was actually um, built and found to have a spherical aberration um, in it. So instead of all the light coming to the reflector dish and reflecting all onto a single point, um, in fact it reflects onto a a line it focuses along a line instead of on a single point um and actually the line it it makes something called a caustic actually which is when the all the the light rays reflect and instead of forming a point they kind of form over a line which is a called a caustic which i've didn't done my phd on caustics um and so they tried to detect signals at several axial points and combine them, but it really was inefficient. And before 1997, Arecibo really wasn't operating at its full power because um, it wasn't able to focus onto a single point, which would give it the, the clearest images. So, so in 1997, it underwent an upgrade. Okay, very similar to the upgrade that the Hubble Space Telescope under, mm. underwent because. You know, we might have brought this up before, but the Hubble Space Telescope had some aberrations in it as well um, due to the way the mirrors were polished. Um, And it also had a big upgrade, like a massive operation that upgraded it by adding off-axis mirrors. So what they did to the Arecibo Telescope in order to change um, the, the... you know, the bad focusing was they put, and you can kind of see when you look at it, this massive dome that's sort of suspended above the reflector mirror. It's called um, the Gregorian Receiver Dome, named after James Gregory, the inventor of this sort of kind of arrangement, these sort of corrections. Suspended oh, yeah. 450 feet above the main mirror is a secondary mirror that is 72 feet, 72 feet um, wide and what it does is it receives the upwardly reflected radiation from the primary mirror 
And then it reflects that onto a tertiary mirror, which is 26 feet wide, which then focuses it onto a single spot at the receiver. So two extra mirrors, which make the focusing perfect from being on a surface to on a single point. So after 1997, it was then finally able to reach its full potential. Um, so it can actually operate as a transmitter um, and it can operate kind of in a sort of radar sense by sending out and receiving back reflected signals. It can actually, you know, work to resolve features, um, features that are actually, listen to this, um, half a mile wide features on the surface of Venus is what it's actually wow. able to resolve. And it can actually detect if there's a conductor on the moon that they can send back and receive uh uh, reflected rays from yeah. um, it can resolve something the size of a golf ball on the moon that's so cool absolutely amazing and as it works as a transmitter I haven't written this down here but quick message that it's able to transmit messages as well and there's a very famous mm. I learned this in first year astronomy um, <laughs> the Arecibo yeah. message which is the intergalactic message for you know any intelligent species out there any intelligent races that pick up the signal it's supposed to be written in some universal language universal being truly meant in this sense about the human race and it's it's so wacky the message that uh, was sent out from the Arecibo telescope <laughs> so that's the Arecibo uh, telescope that's what I had about um, the way that that operates and uh, I didn't mention as well but of course it's a it's a radio telescope so that the detector um, operates on the wavelengths uh, of radio waves so that's my little thing about Arecibo Telescope. Before I go on to the second uh, telescope in the movies, anything you wanted to add about Arecibo? Um, no, sorry, I was, I was just listening to what you're saying about it and I was just looking at the pictures as well as you're talking, just checking out yeah. like the, the dome above the dome. it and, um, and just those pictures of it being, um, uh, of, it, of it collapsing is so sad. <laughs> It's yeah, so it's really, sad. I know it's, it's really sad for like astronomy in general. And yes. yeah, I mean like a moment, a yeah. moment for our Um 130 people were working there. Wow. Who now no longer have, have jobs. Um, so that's, that's, that's really rough. Mm. It's really hard day for astronomy. That's for sure. Um, so there's a second, uh, there's a second place, mm. which is even more interesting, I think. Uh, where she goes to do experiments, and that is the Very Large Array, the VLA, in New Mexico. Birdie. That is, instead of one massive dish, it's 27 independent antenna, antennae, each with a dish diameter of 25 meters. I'm going to metric because the Arecibo one oh, is all on. in feet, and then this one is in metric, 25 meters. Um, and so they're distributed along three arms shaped into a Y, but they can be moved around into many, many different configurations. And the observatory actually normally cycles through all possible variations every 16 months. Oh, okay. Many variations. So why? Why these independent antennae? I'm, I'm so hungry. I probably should eat. <laughs> but oh, I might, why? I'm why? What, what's going on here? What's the science here? Why all these little ones and not one huge one? Is it because... Well, oh, sorry. I thought you were... Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I my, am... My understanding... I don't... Yeah, I don't know... Go on. Um, 
Well, because this is something I don't actually fully know how an array works. Um, my I understand that it's like each individual telescope is collecting information and you can put the information together. But in terms of whether that performs better or worse, depending on what you're looking for, than having one large collector, um, I don't know. Mm. So please do tell me about VLA. I will tell you, uh, we, we, this is where we go into an area called Fourier optics, which is a whole other form of optics. Uh, and the basic idea about this is that lens or apertures uh, act uh, basically as a Fourier transformer. And so light going through apertures uh, undergoes a Fourier transform. Okay. Uh, and that's a whole area of optics, which is really, really, really interesting, um, which I'm not going to get too into. Um, <laughs> but just broadly... <laughs> This keep is those Fourier transforms away from, from people. Keep Fourier transforms away from it. the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So why? And I've actually, I've like done all these calculations. Like I, yeah. in my PhD, like the Fourier transforms and the lenses and apertures, like that was a big part of it. And um, I miss it. <laughs> so the angular resolution or the ability to distinguish fine details in the sky depends on these things. The wavelengths of observation, of the observation, mm -hmm. divided by the size of the instrument. Right. Okay. Now, because radio telescopes operate at such relatively large wavelengths, the size of the instrument therefore has to be larger, which is why they're so big. So basically what the array does is it acts together as a single antenna of variable diameter. So, you know, the, the larger they spread it out, it, they basically act as one huge antenna, way bigger than any single antenna could ever act. Right. And, and, this, and the mathematics behind this is the mathematics of the Fourier transformation. Okay. Um, and what it's called is um, aperture synthesis. That's what the field is called. Aperture synthesis. Synthesis. So you synthesize one single aperture from lots of little apertures, and those little apertures sort of undergo um, discrete Fourier transforms. Right. And just Fourier transforms are actually very, very difficult to calculate. So the invent of the fast Fourier transform, which is sort of done fast and computationally, was a really, really big step in getting all this off the ground because it used to be very difficult to be able to calculate these. Uh, discrete Fourier transforms, which then make up sort of the one massive synthesized aperture. Um, and the person who actually discovered this went on to win the Nobel Prize in Physics hey. in 1974 for aperture synthesis. His name was Sir Martin Ryle. So actually, this was a huge uh, discovery and, and it went on to really push astronomy to other levels. It's so fascinating. It's so interesting. And you'll find entire textbooks on, on yeah. the topic. So that's what they're using, and that's pretty much the science of receiving radio frequencies from very, very far away. Now, what are they actually looking for? Yeah. <laughs> what, well, what gives off radio frequencies? So traditional optics, optical astronomy is great for studying things that give off lots of visible light, galaxies and stars. Um, but there are things that don't actually give off a lot of visible light, but they give off other signals. Um, and the thing about radio waves is that it can travel through the a galaxy not impeded by dust because oh, they're such yeah. big okay. waves. 
Yeah. So we receive light from other galaxies that lay way beyond the center of our, our galaxies or along the direct line of sight. Um, and they're impossible to view uh, with visible light or any optical instruments. So radio astronomy has been able to detect many new type of objects. And you mentioned before the discovery of pulsars, yeah. which are rapidly spinning neutron stars that are collapsed cores of massive stars that have exhausted their fuels. So that's been something that has been discovered through radio astronomy and the Parkes radio telescope, which actually appears in the movie. Hello. <laughs> they say they talk to the CSIRO um, control center, which is in Parkes observatory, has actually uh, found over half of all known pulsars. Wow. Very exciting. And, and the Parkes observatory actually even discovered in 2003's two pulsars orbiting each other. Uh, what else has been discovered? Um, Quasars. This is a new class of objects called quasars. Um, they're primord primordial galaxies with supermassive black holes at their centers. <laughs> the most powerful objects in our universes. Um, this is another amazing discovery. This is this is really actually awesome. 1960. Um, astronomers were trying to uh, identify the source of interference in a radio antenna, and discovered. Um, the cosmic microwave yes. background radiation. <laughs> Wild. This is the, speaking of science and religion, this is the afterglow of the Big Bang. So as the universe expanded and cooled over over 5,000 years ago, let's just say, the thermal black body emission. Oh, sorry, did you say over 5,000? Just joking. I'm just joking. 13.2 <laughs> billion years ago, um, it dropped. I know. So the thermal black body emission, yeah. the, the universe dropped from, um, from millions of thousands of degrees uh, to minus 270 degrees. And uh, the radiation that that um, gave off still permeates all of space, yeah. baby. Even some of the static on your TV screen between channels is caused by this <laughs> radiation. It's so trippy, stuff. the scale of stuff sometimes. It's just yeah. like, my brain can't comprehend it. It's too much. <laughs> it's just, I, it's wonderful. To me, the cosmic microwave background radiation fills me, it probably fills me with radiation, especially <laughs> if I'm on a plane, but it fills me with just like a warm feeling of like truth, mm. actually, oh, Okay. That that something happened and it, and it set off this signal and we still feel it. Like it's just, it feels really amazing to me yeah. to know that there's evidence of those things. What about, I mean, do, there's so many different, I've only mentioned quasars, pulsars yeah. and that, but um, do you want to add anything, anything to, to that about um, radio objects in the universe? No. You're happy. <laughs> You're happy. There's there's just so much stuff, and there's a lot of astronomy nerds, and um, to, I'm more we'll, just we'll like I'm still caught in just like my whole like scope of like it's so big. It's, it's so, so big. Much. It is big. I like its bigness yeah. because I like that we're just teeny specks. Because to me, it means that my life is just mine, baby. I feel I feel like that but then I think maybe I feel a part of what Ellie feels in the movie because when I think okay. about that when I think about the scale of it and I think about like 
just how intense all of this stuff that we do is to to look beyond our own solar system and not just within our galaxy but to look beyond our galaxy into the other galaxies in the universe and then starting then like go out into a whole other world out there beyond the universe which we can leave for now but it's that reality of you and I in our lifetime will never experience it. It is so large. It is so vast. Yeah. We will never know. We will never receive a signal back. We will never like, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not because it's like, oh, we haven't got the tech yet or we haven't got this yet or anything. It's about the vastness of the space and the tra- how long it takes for this information to travel across our galaxy and universe, it's not possible for us to know. And it just trips me out. <laughs> yeah, there's so much to know and we won't, we, we won't even scratch the surface. Yeah. Which is why it's like, this is sort of the, the scientific fantasy in this movie yeah. that she sees. Um, Speaking of which, segueing from the things that radio astronomy has discovered, well, the other thing that they might be listening out for is, of course, signs of intelligent life. Yes. Signs. And I guess there would be a difference between intelligent radio signals and incidental natural radio signals and and I say listening out for because in the movie she's literally got her headphones on and she's listening all day and like she can hear the difference between one and the other and the other characters sort of mention I love how you you like to listen that she likes to listen that's definitely something that I don't really understand yeah I found that I found that weird as well a little bit I was like why is she listening because like you know as you said like objects emit objects in our universe emit wavelengths across the electromagnetic spectrum and the telescopes are collecting photons of light within a specific frequency range and the thing is they can convert it to audio signals so that you could listen but you'd mostly just be listening to all like the interference noise from our very own existence. Like everything that's happening out there from all of our stuff is going to interfere right. with whatever signal you're coming through. So even if you average it out, maybe she's getting used to that and then you could maybe be listening for a change. Like I yeah. do like the romance of it in the movie. The idea that <laughs> all of the objects in our universe emit a sound and... But what they do mm. is they emit energy and the energy can be converted into a sound. Okay. But like she's always listening through the equipment. At the start, she hears something and she says it's a pulsar. So I was kind of looking into this and I was like, okay, so it's kind of cool because pulsars are rotating and they emit radiation from their poles. So each sweep around the radiation beam pulse can be seen on Earth and oh, the rotation okay. speeds like can differ so you can convert the pulse into a sound and then you can listen to the rotation of a pulsar so you can actually listen to these videos on youtube and stuff but um so like it's a thing that wow. you can do 
And I know that like detectors like LIGO and Virgo that pick up gravitational waves can pick them up as audio signals and then let us hear what it sounds like when black holes yeah. collide. Like there is an actual audio out there of like it's a black it's black holes colliding from I don't know what like seven billion years ago or something <laughs> or seven million <laughs> years ago whatever it is and like the the astronomers who listen to it they basically like yeah it just sounds like a dull thud a dull thud yeah. of <laughs> two black holes colliding amazing I do want to say two things about this because <laughs> when I was like okay. I was like oh I want to look into like what the universe sounds like you know I was like what does the universe sound mm-hmm. like um don't google listening to the universe because it's not science that you'll get and don't look for sounds of the universe because that's just a Depeche Mode album (laughs) it's just I was like okay listen to what the universe is trying to tell you that's not what I was trying to find but okay cool Um, but I did find something super interesting about the sound of so well oh sorry sorry so to say like that if if objects like pulsars and things have like a regular sound that you can convert it into a sound that like would be something regular that you could get used to then if you are converting these uh this information that you're getting into an audio wave and then you're listening to the audio signal and then there's a a pattern so you can kind of go like okay well that pattern may not be normal and then if the pattern changes it can be like oh well you know you wouldn't expect the pattern to change um and then the next thing it's like it's giving prime numbers and giving them an ascending order so that's just pretty much a guarantee that that's well that's not naturally happening so if you're hearing that then cool but the that noise that they're doing to make that the alien sound yeah do you know what that is oh no tell me movie movie magic tell me it's a variation of the TARDIS I am dying oh dying (laughs) Oh, what a nerd moment. I know. I was so happy when I read that. Uh, that's good. Sound design. Woo. Hashtag sound design. We love sound design. Yeah, it's great. So intelligent life is discovered. And as I mentioned in the summary, she travels down a system of what, Abby? <laughs> Wormholes. Wormholes. <laughs> Which oh will definitely God. come up loads, but here they are in this so movie. Much. It's beautiful and elaborate. What do you reckon about the wormholes in this movie? Um, well, so I was just kind of like, it's not a, it's a, like you said, it just comes up, and it's a topic that we haven't kind of gotten into yet. So like, we're not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going into it now, but like they, they do refer to them as Einstein Rosen bridges, which is is the correct name for it. Um, the mm-hmm. system that they used to create the wormhole in the movie is the same system that's in the movie Event Horizon, which came out 35 oh. days after Contact came out. How crazy Shut is up. that? The like I the four ring system thing. That's awesome, isn't it? Ah. Um, yeah, it's cool. Gimlock, gimbal, gimbal, whatever. So what exactly is a wormhole? Well, do you know this? I love this. A wormhole was originally presented, uh, like the term used for it originally was a white hole. Oh, because of a black hole, a white hole. Okay. So the idea was that it was doing the reverse of a black hole. So like saying that it's emitting energy and not allowing anything to enter. Um, And then it got called an Einstein-Rosen bridge, which is a tunnel connecting two points in space-time. 
And because space-time is curvy-wurvy, it can be used as a shortcut between two distant places in the universe or even between universes. So instead of traveling in like a straight line along a distance, basically your path bends. <laughs> Frida's demoing with paper. <laughs> and then you just hop through a hole between it and you come out at the end point. Um, and for unknown reasons, they became called wormholes. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's all I'm going to say because I can guarantee you right now that it Look is 100% coming up in a future movie where that term <laughs> Einstein Rosenbridge. <laughs> and for those of you who know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so last, before we end up with our science section. So the time dilation thing, I just thought it sort of point out because they do mention that, um, by the way, my son, he's sort of like, oh, what signs are you doing for the podcast? And I told him wormholes and he's like, what's a wormhole? So I actually found myself with a piece of paper explaining it like a moron. I'm like, Amazing. I guess that's how this happens in life. But um, <laughs> time dilation happens, right? And it's funny because they, he says to her, and I'll get to this later, that um, everyone will age while you're gone. You're gone and everyone, you'll come back and everyone's old. I just want to say that she was away for 18 hours, but only a fraction of a second passed on Earth. <gasps> So it's kind of the opposite direction, isn't it? Yes. It's the opposite direction of what what they say. So, I, I mean, I'm just going to put it down to, yeah, like she should have gone away for 18 hours and 400 years would have passed on Earth. Um, but um, it's, the, it's the other way, isn't it? So, I mean, I guess we'll put it down to alien technology. Yeah. How did that? Oh. Yeah. It's a little... Hmm. Uh, so if anyone has an explanation to that, apart from, you know, alien technology, let us know. But uh, it's just a little bit of a, is it a whoopsie? No, Did I, the wormhole return sure. her back at just a one second point? It was at Narnia. Yeah, Narnia. That's exact. There we go. You Narnia, answered it. Yeah. It's Narnia. There we're done. Done. Amazing. <laughs> so that is science can... Um, <laughs> Science can can go back um, uh, into the box and we'll close the box. <laughs> and now there's something I really need to talk about. I mean. <laughs> okay, it's time. Okay. Let's play some music. What the? What the? What the? All right, Abby, was there a point in this movie which made you go, oh, what the shit? We're changing it, Tell are we? <laughs> what yeah. the shit in hell is this? <laughs> um, there was a point for me. I'm hoping it's not the same because I feel like you've got a very strong feeling of something you want to say here. So I'll just... Mine was just a small thing. Because <laughs> mine was just... Why is Haddon living on the Mir space station? <laughs> <laughs> like, so how did that... I mean, I know he's got a lot of money, but like... <laughs> How do they have the space a, to allow a non-researcher just to fucking hang out and live there? <laughs> He's having the time of his life. What have they kitted out the space station for him? <laughs> and then he dies there and they're wrapping his body up. Like, what? I know. He's an eccentric millionaire <gasps> who's got a... Pe- <laughs> so I didn't even look into the science. I should have done it. Why would being in zero gravity slow his cancer? I guess. Oh my god, I didn't even everything. think to look at it. <gasps> well, well, that's yeah. I didn't even think to look at it, but um, 
let's uh, do an Instagram post on it. I reckon let's okay. just make a post explaining that science <laughs> when the time comes. But it is awfully strange. His whole like, I'm an eccentric billionaire with my finger in everything. And like, I've been following you your whole life. And I keep breaking into your hotel room. <laughs> It's uh, oh very strange. <laughs> the, well, right, okay, that was mine. Part? All right, yeah, come on. Tell me. Bring it. Bring it. You're very excited about I, this. It, it's Matthew McConaughey. Um, very romantically uh, torpedoing her entire career oh. uh, so that uh, he can keep her on Earth after sleeping with her once. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> um, I know that, like... Movies in the 90s, like, you can't have a female protagonist without a romance, except hashtag deep impact. Yeah. Um, I get that. So they have to have some, like, dumb romance, but it's, like, predatory romance. And she's like, why did you do that? And then he's like, he says, like, well, I believe in God. And then later he says, it's because I didn't want to lose you. Like, you had her at all to begin with. You fuck. But she's like, wow, that's romantic. Wow. Um, I'm so touched that someone felt like they wanted me to themselves so much that they would trash my whole career <laughs> and humiliate me in front of the entire nation. So romantic. What the fuck? <laughs> That's it. Oh, God. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I do think um, that they, didn't, not, they yeah. didn't play it up too much, though, to be fair. No, no, they do don't. Know? But it was literally like the in the in the screenplay, they were like, hmm, I think we need to add a romance. Yeah. Every story's got it. It's <laughs> it the 90s, like, baby. We need a romance. Yeah, exactly. If we don't have a romance, we can't put a woman in the movie. Such a really good movie. Such such a really good movie yeah. um, of a woman. Yeah, like of a woman and then they just have to make it a romance. But it's so awesome having a strong female protagonist, baby. Yeah. Love this movie. And speaking of loving this movie, let's move on to our final verdict. <laughs> Number one. Well, I mean, look, it's, no. it's did it. No, it doesn't, right? Because there isn't any woman apart from her, apart from Angela Bassett. Yeah, I mean, and... the, that's the thing. I was like, okay, there's there's two women. They they have names. At one point, they, they have dialogue between the two of them. The dialogue is, can I talk to you? Yes. Do you know where I could get a really great dress? And that's it. So just no. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> yeah, the other woman is there because who else can tell her about a dress? The alien, we don't know the alien's gender. <laughs> but it was a man. It was David Moss. <laughs> It was David Morse. All right. We're not gendering the question. alien. It just chose that form. Did it pass the here comes the science? Absolutely. Yes. It is just, it's like not just the science, but like not just the fantastical elements of science, which I think are a big part of science is mm. fantastical. You know, the unknown and hypothesizing about the unknown, but the environments of science the places where she goes are real places. Yeah. Those are based on real people. And that's really, really interesting. Final verdict. How many wormholes? Five. Does it get out of five? Five. I agree. Yeah, five star five wormholes. Five star science. Five star movie. Um, Wonderful. I, I, I'm on take a, take, I'll take maybe point one off of Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> predatory romance. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that was our first major episode. What? Wait, of can 20... I ask you one question? Yes. Yeah, go, please. Do you believe her? Oh, yeah. 
I believe that. <laughs> I, I trust her. I don't. I, I don't. Um, I didn't come all this way with her just to now decide to selectively not believe her okay. and call her crazy. <laughs> I'm with her. I'm with her character. Just because it doesn't suit, you know, my worldview doesn't mean I get to call her mad. Okay. <laughs> Do you believe her? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thus ends, and it hits exactly 10 a.m. right now, which is what I was hoping for because um, of going on a holiday today, actually. Yay! Heading off. I'm very excited. But that was our first episode for 2021, a serious <gasps> science movie. Abby. Psyched. What have you got planned? Have you thought about it yet? Yeah. Have you even thought of this far ahead? What is I've the next movie that we're doing? I've my notes. Oh, evil laugh. Yes. What are we doing next? We're doing something you're going to be very unhappy about. But we have a lot of them to get through. So (laughs) we've got to come back around to Marvel. Sorry. (laughs) What is it? Well, the next movie in the... Okay, so... I'm just going to, for Marvel fans out there, we've done Captain America. Yes, in the timeline, the next movie is Captain Marvel, but there is no way that I'm throwing that in for movie number two, because we all know that you need to know what's going on before you watch Captain Marvel, so you don't spoil it all. So the next movie, logically, to go with, has to be the one that began it all, Iron Man. Iron Man. I've seen it and I love it. I'm psyched. We're we're it. gonna talk we are talking about military research, we're talking about war profiteering, we're talking about mechatronics, robotics, n- fucking arc reactors. Dickheads. Come on. Yeah. Dickheads with assistance that they exploit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Wonderful. I just want to say to our wonderful viewers, and, and a lot of people have told me in person how much they love it, and we would really appreciate if you rated us and left yes, a review please. on Apple Podcasts. Please, please, please. We really, 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 really want you to. Hopefully, if you made it this far in the episode, you'll do that immediately and not a second sooner. Later. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to get in touch, um, not, a, not a second later. Oh, That's I'm the worst. an idiot. If you want to get in touch... I was doing great. I'll get better. Um, please, science at the movies at gmail.com. You can also uh, catch us on our Instagram um, at science at the movies. We're also on Twitter, movies underscore science. That's the one. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Is there anything else? Is there no. Uh, Mini series next week. Mini series. <laughs> Is it number one or number two? Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll decide. Well, it's number one or it's number two. Yeah. But we're, we're either in the miniseries, Akak, it's the alien, alien comedy miniseries for a little taste of us in the middle because I know how much you miss us. Um, that's it. Yeah. We'll see you next time with Iron Man. Thanks for listening. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 It's getting creepy now.